0: You are listening to the Court Report Podcast. This episode is hosted by Blake Hindle of the George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and Chris Costello of Temple University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, Last episode, we talked a little bit about the application process, uh, specifically the LSAT, the law school admissions test, and generally what people should be expecting uh, when they find out that they might want to apply to law school. So I guess, Chris, today's episode will be mostly on uh, a deeper dive into the application process, specifically uh, the uh, in-depth, the nitty gritty of the materials people will need to apply. And I guess a rough timeline um, based on uh, the circumstances uh, for what people uh, are, when people are wanting to apply to law school, Um, ideally when they should be submitting all of these materials uh, in order to have the best possible chance of getting in. So I guess uh, what we can do before um, diving in is do a brief overview to give people a lay of the land of law schools in the United States. So um, for most people who are curious about law schools, you might uh, find yourself looking up law school rankings, as most people would do with uh, most undergrad universities. Um, For our case, the uh, ABA, the American Bar Association, has accredited uh, 196 schools uh, as um, being permissible to um, to uh, go to law school and uh, p- potentially take the bar. Uh, within that, there is the, uh, the top 14 law schools. Within those 196, they're called the T14. Uh, those are the highest, most coveted law schools. Uh, of course, they switch uh, year to year based on rankings. We don't entirely know what those uh, metrics are. Um, but uh, ideally, uh, they all kind of fluctuate around the same area, maybe switching off places year to year. And we'll dive into that in a later episode. But um, I guess, Chris, let's start diving in into the, uh, the process. Um, let's say, uh, you know, there is a junior who is, you know, thinking about going to law school. You know, they, they still have a little bit of time before, you know, they, they should really ideally, ideally be applying. Um, what are the materials they're going to need and when should they be doing it? I guess we can start there.
1: All right. Yeah. So there are a couple things you're going to need for your law school applications. Uh, of course, you're going to need, you know, your LSAT score. Um, you have to submit your GPA. So you're going to send transcripts in uh, to the LSAC service. You're going to have to write a personal statement, a diversity statement, if applicable, if you'd like to write one. Um, also, if applicable, an and addendum for like any discrepancies in your GPA or anything on your transcript that you'd like to explain. Um, And certain schools do require prompts. So it depends on whoever you're applying to, they may ask for your personal statement or your letters to be tailored to that prompt. Um, And those are things that you kind of control as an applicant, but um, things that aren't really in your control are the letters of recommendation, um, you don't really know what they're going to write on it, but you know, you do control the recommender. Uh, so it is recommended that you have a minimum of two. Uh, one of those should be an academic source. And if you have the option, a professional recommendation as well. Um, but those are, those are the basics. That's kind of essentially what you need for your application.
0: Okay. Um, let's say we have a, a junior applicant or a let's say a junior in their undergrad college. Um, and, you know, they, they've been thinking a little bit about what they're going to do. You know, they've, they've switched a major maybe a couple of times. And now all of a sudden they, they started doing a little bit of research into uh, maybe pursuing a JD at a law school. Um, let's say that, you know, maybe it's around this time of year, you know, late September as a junior. Uh, let's lay out what the general process might be, maybe a rough timeline. So um you know obviously i guess the first thing any law school student should probably do is uh, uh you know beyond just general research on you know what would be required as kind of we're laying out here would probably be the lsat cuz that's probably mm-hmm. the most the most uh um time uh the, the the largest time requirement in the process right
1: exactly yeah i i know for us uh in our junior year our, we pretty much started practicing the lsat uh in october i believe and from that point forward had been practicing all up until our test in June. So if you are a junior applicant, or you're a junior looking to apply, maybe your senior year, um, the first thing you should be focusing on is, well, of course, your GPA, you know, that's something that you build on over time. So if you're assuming your GPA is, you know, in that range where you want it, the next thing you have to worry about is the LSAT. So I always recommend studying as early as possible and trying to understand, you know, you know, logic games, logical reasoning, and reading comp as well as you can before you walk in on test day. But that is the most prevalent thing in your junior year. Um, apart from that, you don't really have to start worrying too much about the rest of your applications um, or anything you need for your application maybe until let's say the spring of your junior year, that's when you'll start to reach out to, um, you know, recommenders people you want to write you letters and you're going to ask if they can, you know, help, help you along this process, uh, write them an email or write them a letter personally, uh, just asking if they can you know, help you with this and you give them a deadline. That's the important thing to do. A lot of people Mm. who, um, you know, are lawyers kind of tend to procrastinate a little bit. So you got to give them a deadline, uh, so they know exactly when to have it in by, um, but that's what's the a good,
0: next... sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I was wondering what's a good um, amount of time someone should give to a recommender. You know, we're ideally looking at, you know, probably at least one or two academic, uh, referral academic letters of recommendation and, uh, maybe one or two, you know, experiential ones, maybe from mm-hmm. a good job you've had or some, some internship, right. Everything that's applicable and shows that you actually, uh, you know, you actually care about what you do, and you actually uh, are, are you're a hard worker. You have passions, yeah. Um, but uh, ideally, like, how long should you give someone to write a, a, a solid letter of recommendation? Provided you have a a pretty strong connection with uh, whoever you want to write this letter.
1: Yeah. So, uh, one thing you do not want to do is to just spring this up on somebody and say, hey. I'm applying next week. Uh, can you <laughs> write me a letter of recommendation? Uh, I really need it. Probably not going to turn out too well for you. Yeah. It's not going to turn out well. So uh, me personally, I asked my letters of recommendation writers, um, I think in May, um, just as my the spring semester was ending in my junior year, I asked if they could write me them. And I said, you have all summer, take as much time as you need. Um, I would just like them in by September or October so I can start getting the rest of my applications uh, complete. Uh, so I gave them several months, uh, which isn't, you know, typically, you know, what everyone does. Um, but I would recommend at least a month or two of advanced warning would be nice so they can you know, put a lot of thought into it, you know, make it sure everything on that letter is perfect as it can be. Um, cause you know, when, if you spring it on them in a, in a week, you know, they might make a little errors here and there. They might not be able to put as much, you know, you know, uh, love into it, I guess, as, uh, they would, if they could write it in, you know, two months time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I know you mentioned that you had sent out your uh, requests for these letters in May. I think, uh, for mine, I sent them out, um, maybe early July. I think I gave them, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the lion's share of the, of the summer, Um, But again, this is all uh, tying back into the idea of the the applicant's agency in the admissions process. Um, Like like we said, this is really the major thing that's not directly under direct control of the applicant. So really doing everything in your power beyond the relationship that you've already fostered with these professors that you're asking, um, doing everything you can to accommodate them in order to receive the strongest possible recommendation. Um, You know, these letters uh, are a really important factor, the admissions process, and, uh, you know, having an external um, verification of you as a a worker, as a student, uh, the ability to learn and kind of adapt to different situations in an academic setting, at least, um, would really uh, go quite a long way to show, uh, you know, admissions officers who are maybe reviewing, you know, not only your application file, but, you know, potentially tens of thousands of others you know that that could be just one of the factors that could set you aside, right? Exactly. Yeah. So aside from you know maybe giving uh, your potential recommenders you know ample time, kind of being courteous to them, ideally for the LSAT, how long should people really be spending? Because you know for us, we started really you know considering law school uh, August of our junior year, kind of right at the beginning. But um, you know as uh, many undergrads will know, uh, it's very difficult to. Uh, balance, to have a healthy uh, a, a work-life balance and uh, adding in, you know, a rigorous LSAT studying on top of that can get very, very, very challenging, if not impossible for many people. Um, you know, potentially some people listening to this podcast might uh, not be an undergrad student. Maybe they're, you know, uh, doing something else. Maybe they're uh, already in a professional life and have a job, but maybe they want to switch. So they're in kind of a similar position where, uh you know the amount of time that they uh can allot to study on the LSAT, you know, on a per week basis might be uh somewhat limited. So uh I saying that, you know, you couldn't spend, you know, like, like a nine to five job of studying and you had to kind of, you know, portion it out, what's a good realistic time frame uh before someone applies to the LSAT, applies to or registers to take the LSAT rather?
1: Sure. So One uh, piece of advice I got from one of my professors who happens to be, you know, a T14 graduate himself, uh, scored very well in the LSAT and is probably one of the smartest people I know, is you should study at least three months in advance. So that's a three month minimum of your LSAT. So let's say, you know, you're taking LSAT in June, you should start three months before that. Um, And he says you should study maybe like an hour a day, that's honestly all you need. You don't have to be spending your entire, you know, you know, you don't have to spend hours and hours every day studying for the LSAT. But as long as you're studying at least, you know, an hour or two a day for like five, six days a week, you're getting yourself that muscle memory, you know, that, that memory in your head to know how to solve these problems. And you're making it a consistent, you know, routine in your life that, you know, three months from whenever you start studying, it's going to be a breeze for you. It's going to be easy. It's like second nature because you've been doing it almost every single day for three months. Hmm. So what I'd recommend is no matter what the bare minimum should be three months in advance, you should start preparing. And if you can set aside an hour a day, uh, which, you know, isn't always super feasible for most people, but it's also not the most demanding time either. It's one hour. Um, You choose a section you want to work on and you work on that for one hour a day at least, you know, five days a week for three months. I think yeah. that's the perfect thing to do. But one thing I also say is it's also never too early to start preparing. So if you want to start preparing a, a year in advance, two years in advance, oh, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> that's uh, that would, that would be great. That's ideal, but most people don't do that. So yeah. Three months.
0: I, I think that's also a really important point you mentioned too, is, um, you know, even even spending a little bit of time you know, every day on it, uh, you know, the three elements of the LSAT, which we've talked about uh, last episode, and I'm sure we'll we'll be diving back in again, um, changing your uh, your your brain's wiring to think in the format of the LSAT, uh, you know, specifically for uh, logical reasoning uh, or analytical reasoning, I guess, because, um, you know, for most people uh, reading comprehension and logical reasoning, the way that most people tend to think uh, of those problems that the way that you will already think about that has already been developed throughout your entire life, mm-hmm. leading up to the point you take the test. Um, so to, to change the the way you you know inherently approach uh, you know and think critically and um, kind of uh, the way you you the way your brain kind of interprets information uh, the the patterns you've already ingrained in yourself by the time you're ready to take the LSAT they're they're pretty solid but um like that one uh the one facet that can be changed uh in a relatively quick time frame would be uh the logic game section. Yep. So, you know, really really being diligent in studying on a routine basis, really holding yourself to it and making sure you're not distracted, really investing in yourself in the time you're spending on it is uh, is just
1: so crucial. Exactly. But, yeah. Uh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, you're fine. um uh, yeah. yeah, no, like just to bounce off what you said, um the three sections uh you like Reading comprehension, you can improve here and there, but it is notorious for being something that if you're not performing well kind of off the bat, it's gonna be hard to make improvements. It's, it's hard to study for reading comprehension. Um, whereas for logical reasoning, you know, it's a little bit easier. And then for logic games, all you need to know, know is how to diagram. The second you can you know, write all these rules out, make your diagram, you're, you're set. Like, you can answer every single question in a logic game series without flaw if you have a perfect diagram. And once you learn all the different types of diagrams, how to write rules out for yourself to understand personally, um, you'll be set. You'll be perfect. So I always recommend just trying to work on your logic game section as much as you can early on, because that's the one section that always trips people up.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Um, everyone just making sure that, you know, they really set up a a schedule of studying that really works for them and fits into their schedule where it's not, you know, dominating over everything else, but that's, you know, a significant amount of time being dedicated to it because, you know, we've mentioned it a ton of times before already, and I'm sure we will continue to do so, Mm -hmm. but really taking the time to go through it is, is just so important because, um, you know, by the time you take the test, you're really going to wish that you had spent as much time as possible perfecting. You know, every single element, you know, how you approach problems, how you diagram logic games, everything mm-hmm. you can do to set yourself up in the best possible situation uh, in as much time as possible. You know, like you already mentioned that, you know, cramming is really not the best way to approach the LSAT. It's really just not going to work. You know, maybe for a lot of undergrad, you know, tests that you might go through, that might be, that might, might be the case, but just, it's not the same for this. Exactly. So really
1: That's setting it. yourself
0: up a couple months ahead of time is probably, Uh, your best bet, you know, not saying it's not possible to do it in a short amount of time, but on average for the, you know, the common person, you know, like you said, like you said, three months, is probably about, probably about where you want to be at least, you know, maybe if you're not the best at standardized testing, maybe starting a little bit earlier, or, you know, if you foresee having a lot of free time, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're able to cram it in, in a shorter window, but at least, at least a couple months is probably a healthy bet.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's say you're a sophomore in college, and you think you want to go to law school, you could start studying over the summer, Um, the summer between your sophomore and junior year, if you start studying all through there, and let's say you test, you know, the next summer following, that's a year in advance, and you'd have several months straight to take the uh, studying into account. And even if you were comfortable with it, you could take the winter uh, LSAT, which we can dive into a little bit. let's say, I think it's around December, January, usually, um, they offer an LSAT, which happens to have the easiest curve. So I think it's a typical five to six point increase if you take your LSAT in December, as opposed to taking it in June. If you scored the exact same, let's say you got the same amount of questions wrong in December as you did June, your score would still be higher in December, because not many people take it. And it's based off you know, that, that curve that you receive is based off how many people who take it.
0: Wow. And that That's a, that's a huge boost out of exactly. 180 six points is massive.
1: It is. Uh, and especially when you're taking into account. Um, so, so the reason it is like that is most people who are taking uh, the LSAT in December are, you know, kind of the people who are last minute rushing. They're like, this is my last chance to apply for this cycle. I'm going to take the LSAT right now. I'm going to send my application out immediately. Whereas if you're a junior and you have studied this for months in advance in the, you know, the summer, you would do perfect. You would do very well because those people typically will stay towards the lower to middle end of the LSAT score range. And if you've been studying, you're well-prepared, you will get that six point increase. And I guarantee you can get in the one seventies without a problem.
0: Yeah. I mean, it provided you, you know, I <laughs> go through the, your your due diligence and studying of I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's definitely yeah. possible um but it's funny you mentioned uh you know the different times of when to take the lsat that's a good segue into the the admissions timeline or oh, i yeah. guess um uh, a, a rough outline of what a normal uh, admissions timeline might be so uh in another case example let's say we have you know there is no such thing as you know the, the typical law school applicant right mm-hmm. um but let's say for example that you know we have um we have a, a junior in their undergrad college who's, you know, they, they really considered, uh, you know, law school, you know, maybe they switched their majors a couple times and now they're at the point where, you know, they're taking whatever degree it might be, you know, there is no set pre-law major that's mandatory, but they're really considering going to law school and they did the research and now they're in the process of getting ready. So let's say, you know, right around maybe this time of year uh, for a junior in college or in their undergrad college, um, let's let's provide a timeline for them, you know, uh kind of give people an idea of, you know, what might what might be the most optimal uh time to send in materials to take the LSAT mm-hmm. that would kind of provide the best possible chance for someone to get into what would be their dream law school.
1: Sure. So let's say you're a junior, uh the fall of your junior year. I would start studying for the LSAT in your fall. Um that's pretty much the one thing you have to worry about. Um, granted that your GPA is, you know, good. The LSAT is the next prominent thing that you have to have on your mind. Um, You're going to start studying for that pretty much as early as possible. But if you're junior, I'd start in the fall and you need to get ready because what's recommended the best time to take the LSAT um, is June. So usually the June LSAT is the best one to do because it gives you plenty of time to retake. If, you know, if you don't get a great score, You've got the August LSAT, you've got September, you know, October, November, the list goes on. But you have plenty of time to retake and still be a competitive applicant. So studying as early as possible in your junior year for the LSAT is number one priority. The second one would be, you know, start trying to foster those relationships with the letters of, you know, people who are going to write you these letters of recommendation. Absolutely. Um, You know, it could be a professor who, you know you have in your junior year. Uh, I know for personally for me, I did get uh, letters of renovation from professors I took in my junior year. And all throughout my junior year, I worked hard on fostering that relationship, making sure that you know they can speak to my ability uh, as a student and as a prospective law student as well. So those are the two main things you really have to start working on in your junior year, at least. Uh, but when it comes to summer of your junior year, your junior into senior year, that's when you really have to, you know, start, you know, breaking into the uh, writing your letter, um, your personal statement, you have to start, you know, making sure your resume is polished up, um, a diversity statement, if possible, not everybody needs one, uh, addendums as well, if if applicable, you don't all really need them. But if you have to explain something on your transcript, let's say you took Computer Science 101, and you absolutely <laughs> bombed that thing.
0: Yeah, I'm in that boat. Um, <laughs> oh,
1: uh, no, no, me too. Me too. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> so you can just say, "Hey, this is a, a one-off thing. I'm, you know, a 4.0 student, but comp sci, it wasn't my thing, and it took, you know, it took this class for me to realize that. And this is, I changed my na- major or something, or maybe like." I was going through a tough time emotionally during this uh, during this period, my grades suffered. But as you can see, throughout the remainder of my time in school, my grades began to uh, rebound or recover. So um, that's just explaining to the admissions officers, like here here's what's happened here and here's why it isn't an issue. Um, but that's essentially all, all you're really gonna need is your personal statement, your resume, Diversity statement, any addendums, and you know, of course, sending in you know, transcripts and your LSAT score. But you have to start making sure you know that's getting ready in the summer of your junior year, because when fall comes around or your senior year, you should be getting ready to apply as early as possible.
0: Yeah. So, all right, say say it's uh you know maybe maybe late July or August, you know, right right before your senior year starts as an undergrad. So ideally you would already have, you know, your, your LSAT score uh, probably in the area you want it to be Uh, you've already reached out to your, you know, letters of recommendation uh, either in the, either in late spring or maybe, you know, some point over the summer and you've given them ample time to respond and, you know, really flush out a a really nice, strong letter of recommendation that speaks to your abilities. Um, So now we have, like you mentioned, these, uh, the, the, the more personal aspects of your application that really set you aside as a number uh, amongst uh, you know potential thousands of applicants, you know your personal statement, you know maybe your diversity statement, uh, or maybe the, the specific prompts that schools may or may not ask. Mm-hmm. Um, when should these kind of uh, start to get you know crafted in order to be you know at the at the best possible time to apply?
1: Yeah. So what I would recommend if you took the June LSAT. You know if you have that time free available during the summer you know after your lsat whenever you take it um i just start working on it as soon as possible you know your uh personal statement uh it actually is you know something that's looked at you know all these officers they don't just you know, throw your statements aside and you like not read them if you're no matter what even if your gpa or lsat isn't within their you know criteria they'll still you know read your letters recommendation, they'll read your personal statement, they'll look at your resume, they still want to know who you are. So you can't mess these up. These are big important parts of your application. And I would start as soon as possible. So I'd recommend after you take your LSAT in June, maybe start writing your personal statement in July and start polishing it and refining it and have it ready to go by September. That's what I would recommend. Uh, I know you know you can also have this looked over by you know your peers. I a professor of mine also you know looks over my personal statement. You know gives me any advice on so any maybe spelling errors or grammar errors. Just make sure it is as perfect as possible because this is you selling yourself. You know you you to these uh, law school admissions officers without any of this extra stuff. You're just a number, right? You're an LSAT and a GPA, but the second you give them a personal statement. That's who you are. That's who you are on a piece of paper, and you need to be able to sell yourself as well as possible. And in order to do that properly, you're going to have to give yourself as much time as possible to write. And I know most people—I think I brought this up earlier—who practice law um, are a little bit of a procrastinator. So don't don't pull it off until the last week to write your personal statement. Give yourself time to look back, uh, make any edits that you may or may not need to make, and Maybe get it peer checked because that's uh, that's a good way to find any issues that maybe you wouldn't be able to point out on your own.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's just such an important element of you know the admissions process for everyone applying the law school. Um, you know, of course, uh, it's especially the case for you know maybe those top fourteen law schools. You know, the 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 cream of the crop, so to speak. That you know, having a, a, a an optimum GPA in LSAT is uh, really really important no matter where you apply. Uh, especially uh, for those top schools. But, you know, having that, a strong personal statement that really speaks to your story as an individual um, and really having a story that kind of uh, sets you aside from everyone else, you know, most people will kind of explore different paths throughout their, at least the first couple of years of their uh, undergrad experience. So, you know, we, you mentioned the case of, you know, maybe you took, uh, you know, an intro comp sci class, you know, maybe it wasn't the best, but, you know, you learn from that and you switch to something else that you enjoy. You know, they don't really want to see, you know, robots, you know, they're just perfect in grades, but don't really have, you know, a character. So, you know, it is okay to have, you know, these, these little mistakes, these little fluctuations, you know, you don't have to be perfect. They're not looking for perfect. They're looking for people who are going to thrive at their law school that are going to succeed. And they're going to be able to really uh, add something different to their, to their, uh, to their student base, you know, to the student population. Um, but it's it's really just is really your opportunity to set yourself aside from those thousands of other applicants that maybe you know maybe they're around the same level of, level as you maybe whether it's you know your LSAT or your GPA maybe both uh, but maybe you know you, your story and your ability to write can really set you aside so it's something that you should really spend a significant amount of time preparing but let's dive in now to okay so maybe we have all of these materials ready to go. You know, it's it's the it's the fresh start of a, an admission cycle. Um, when should we really start looking into sending all these materials, uh, sending all of these materials out to law schools in packages? You know, we we've been preparing now for months at this point, uh, getting our optimum LSAT. You know, we have all of our letters of recommendation compiled. Uh, we have our personal statements getting fine tuned. Maybe um, we write addendums if we needed to about you know certain circumstances about uh, the rest of our admissions packet. When should we really send this out in order to get the best possible chance?
1: Well, the best possible chance is as early as you can. So the second those applications open up, you got to send it out. Um, that's for the best possible chance. So the things with uh, the correlation between you know your uh, odds of admissibility and uh, your application, you know, it's linear, the relationship there. So if the right. earlier you apply, the better off, but you know, the more you wait, the less likely you are to be admitted. So let's say applications open up September 1st, like they did this year, your chances of admissions uh, applying in September are probably, you know, somewhere between 20 to 30% higher than they are if you apply um, somewhere in December or January. Um, but of course, you know, it, it all depends on, you know, what schools you're applying to. But no matter what, applying as soon as possible is the best thing to do. Um, I'd recommend September. Uh, it also does uh, matter if you're applying early decision as well, which is something we can dive into a little bit later. But um, applying September or October, honestly, November as well, that's that's a good you know, goal to set for yourself. So, if you have all this ready by September, uh, apply as soon as possible. Apply in September. If you need to wait a month or two to make sure that your your letters of recommendation are still coming in, or you need to work on that personal statement, give it until maybe October or even November if you have to. But I wouldn't let it go beyond. I wouldn't let it go beyond February. Ah, uh, you can apply in December. You can apply in January. Um, but you have to understand that your odds of admission you know are slashed considerably. And then, obviously, at the February mark and March mark, you are you're very, very, very late on that process. And if you're at that point where you haven't applied yet, it would be best for you to wait until the next cycle. So uh, you'd have to wait until September or you know October of the following year. To apply,
0: hmm. I think most people might not be entirely aware of, you know, the exact manner in which admissions are kind of a uh, operating for law schools. You know, I think a lot of people are really, uh, they a lot of people understand more so the you know admissions process maybe for undergrad institutions more so than law school, but it is equally c- clear cut to it to a certain extent. You know, with undergrad, you have you know, your early decision, uh, which is binding, you know, early application, early, ap- uh, sorry, early action, not mm-hmm. early decision, uh, and then your regular decision. But um, for law schools, it's based on uh, rolling admission, but there's a caveat to it, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, like you mentioned, getting in at the very beginning of an admission cycle, whether it's, you know, early September, or October, that's when every seat will be available for the next incoming class for every law school. But, you know, uh, as we mentioned briefly that, you know, as time goes on month to month, you know, that the, the percent boost you'll have in getting in will, will drop off dramatically. So ideally, you know, let's say, um, you know, you, you would have, you know, uh, the best possible chance in October, for example. But, you know, would it still be acceptable for someone to apply, you know, maybe January, February, maybe even, you know, March or April, or is it too late by then?
1: So I would say you can still apply in January, obviously, but, you know, once it gets to February, that's when it's, you're bordering really late there. Um, And March, I would not consider March whatsoever. Um, See, February is, you know, really bordering because by March, the time March rolls around, that's when they're, you know, starting to negotiate, you know, scholarships with people that they've already accepted. Um, and they usually start to accept people somewhere in the, you know, December, January, February time. Um, so if you're just applying, by the time they're accepting most of their class, you're you're putting yourself in a very tricky situation. Uh, you're going to be, you know, most likely waitlisted or rejected, especially for the T14. Mm. Um, I know the T14 is... Uh, they're, 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 they're harsh. They're notorious for, you know, being harsh for later applicants. Um, so if let's say, you know, you're applying in February and you have like fantastic stats, you're not guaranteed any anywhere in the T-14. I, I mean, anybody's not guaranteed anywhere, but if you apply, you know, with perfect stats in September um, I I would, I would be willing to bet that you get into a considerable amount of law schools, as opposed to someone who applies in February, but that is to be uh, noted. There is, there's a note to be written here. If you, and let's say you took your LSAT in October or September and you know, you could apply early, but your LSAT score is not where you want it. Mm. Don't apply early. Okay. The percent increase of admissibility you would get from applying early in that case is negligible. Um, Because you obviously wouldn't be within the bracket, you know where where you need to be to apply to these schools. So if you have bad statistics, let's say um, it's let's just say the LSAT. Because GPA wise, if it's not great at that point, then you've you got to work on that LSAT as hard as possible to make up for that difference. So let's say your LSAT is not great, and you have everything ready by September. Don't apply. Spend an extra month or two studying and take the LSAT again. If you can, let's say go from a 150 to a 170, if you can get a 20 point increase in a couple of months, that 170 is going to give you a much greater chance of admissibility, even if you're applying in December or January. So don't think you're putting yourself in a bad spot if you apply um, in January or February. But Keep in mind, your odds are much, much better if you apply essentially at any time before December.
0: Yeah, really taking your time to uh, kind of make sure you have the best possible packet for admission. Um, again, all that being said, before the window opens, uh, you really want to be ready to go. But you know we we mentioned that law school is based largely on uh, rolling admissions, but there's also early decision, which is uh, you can send that to one law school. Applicants can send out one early decision application, but that is a binding application, correct?
1: Yeah. So that is a tricky situation. And there are some trade offs. So your chance of admission are increased substantially with early decision. I believe it's somewhere around 10%. You're 10% more likely to be admitted to somewhere where you apply early decision. Um, But there, you know, obviously is a caveat that if you do early decision, you are bound to that school. Um, it either is if you you know apply for the binding early decision, which is what will give you that 10% increase. Uh, let's say that you apply early decision binding to University of Pennsylvania Law School, but you also sent regular decision applications out to Harvard and Yale and Columbia. If it's later down the line and you get accepted to Harvard, you get accepted to Yale and Columbia. Mm-hmm. But you also got accepted to your binding contract to you have a choice. Yep, you don't have a choice. You have to withdraw your offers of admission uh, to Harvard, to Yale, and Columbia, and you are bound to go to the University of Pennsylvania for that, you know, binding early decision contract that you filled out. And you know, while your odds of admission go up substantially, um, the odds of getting a good scholarship are. Kind of non-existent. You you lose your negotiating power when you apply early decision because you're telling the law school that you know this is this is where I want to be. But you also are telling the law school that you have no choice. I'm going here because you signed the contract. They know you're coming. So most people who apply ED end up paying uh, almost almost full tuition. Obviously, you know a lot. Almost everyone at law school gets a scholarship to some extent, but Ed applicants really don't have that negotiating power uh, as to where someone who applied you know, standard uh, decision for everywhere um, does. So if you get accepted to Harvard, you can use that acceptance to negotiate scholarship money at Columbia. Or you can use scholarship uh, money from Columbia to negotiate with Harvard. So yeah, these are all things to take into consideration. But it's not to say that you shouldn't apply early decision. You just need to understand. Um, You know the benefits and the you know, not the not so great parts of applying early decision.
0: Yeah, I think that's a big thing. I think most you know, I I think it's pretty reasonable to understand that you know most law school applicants you know they kind of get wide eyed when you hear, oh, if I apply you know early decision to wherever I have such such a higher chance of getting in, but uh, you know that the the trade off is you know obviously you're paying you know that full sticker price. You're ensuring the law school admissions officers that they're getting, you know, a set amount of revenue because that's ultimately, (laughs) unfortunately, what it is, you know, Uh, you know, of course, you know, everyone wants their JD going into law school and, you know, the, the prestige of pursuing a higher uh, degree, but also, you know, the other reciprocal end of that is that, you know, you you are paying, you know, an absorbent amount of money to these institutions. But I guess that's ultimately um, a trade-off that, you know, the applicant themselves is going to have to make, uh, based upon you know what the prospective uh, uh, salary might be uh, based on you know for lawyers in the field of law that they wish to uh, to um, to practice in uh, you know for corporate law I think what is it now it's 2022 late 2022 mm-hmm. corporate law for if you're in the top bracket of the top law schools you know they're getting recruited for first year associates I think what is it close to 1st year associates somewhere around there
1: somewhere in that range yeah uh, it, it is and uh, a ridiculous amount of money, but for you know T14 graduates who are focusing on corporate law, that is, that that's what you're looking at, and, and that goes up every year. Um, and especially nowadays, uh, you know that we used to be in a surplus of lawyers. Um, but recently, you know, these corporate lawyers are kind of, you know, uh, not to say dying off, but they're dying off, and we need to, you know, fill that fill that demand. So high salaries for corporate law and that's always been the case but you know uh, especially right now this is a fantastic time to get into law and go into big law um, but you know, just keep in mind that it's a very very demanding part of being a lawyer is if you go to corporate law you know you're working you know crazy hours uh, you're you're putting in the work for that money so don't think you're getting anything easy or handed to you
0: yeah I think a big thing too is for you know people who maybe, are worrying a little bit about, you know, the cost of attending law school is not to get too discouraged by that because, you know, ultimately, you know, if, if you really are serious about going to law school, then, you know, ideally your, your prospects in the job market coming out of it, which mm-hmm. uh, should be able to really handle any debt you might incur. Um, you know, a lot of people going to law school, you know, are, are you know, uh, undergrads uh, who may have already taken on some substantial debt. So, that's something you are have to work uh, work out yourself. But I think for most people, uh, it's definitely worth it. It's something that's really going to unlock a lot of doors and ultimately should be able to pay off any debt and um, set yourself up for a pretty uh, a pretty comfortable life in the years after. Yeah, but um, I think ultimately, the main takeaway from all of this is to really take your time in getting up every single part of your application packet to be as perfect as possible, to represent you as an individual applicant in in the best possible light and really distinguish yourself from the potential thousands of other applicants who are, you know, ultimately it is competition. You know, you are competing against these other people to get into that seat. It's, it's, it's a brutal, brutal game, but Mm -hmm. really taking your time to really flush out every possible element. And then again, just having everything ready to go at the earliest possible moment by September. Um, and, and, and then that in order uh, to get yourself into the best possible situation for uh, acceptance into your dream law school. 100%. Yeah, um, I think that's pretty much it, Chris, uh, for uh, a brief overview, uh, uh, more or less of the timeline. Is uh, there anything else you wanted to add?
1: Um, just as some final words of advice, start prepping as early as you can and apply as early as you can. Those are the biggest things you can do. So in anything you do for law school admissions, think early.
0: Yeah, it can't hurt, right? Exactly. All right. Well, uh, we'll leave it there for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Court Report podcast. And have a good one.
1: Bye.